divorce this house? Should I keep it? Should I sell it? Should I buy something new? Should I refinance? How on earth are you supposed to decide all this and who's going to get it and how you're going to divide the equity and what really makes sense in the end for you for the long term? Today, we're going to talk about exactly that with Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, Dina Brown. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Hello and welcome, Dean Brown. Thank you again for being here with us. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm excited about our conversation. I've already told the listeners a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. So let's just start by having you tell us a little bit about you. Wonderful. Sure. So uh, again, my name is Dina Brown. I am a certified financial planner professional. I also am a certified divorce financial analyst, and I am the founder of Bag Lady Divorce empowering women before, during, and after divorce. So I've been practicing financial planning and investments for over 20 years now. And um, through my practice, I've found that um, I can be of great help to women before and during the divorce process where I can help empower them. I love that word, empower it, if you can tell, um, and help them with the, it really is a business decision of splitting assets during a divorce and then helping them after the divorce grow those assets. And if they're getting alimony um, and or child support, help them with the cash flow when they need to supplement once those two income flows um, end at some point. Yeah. So again, I've been, I, I am a wealth advisor. I help people with financial planning investments, but I have a real passion for helping women before, during and after divorce. Well, I can hear your passion. And I know that everybody listening already knows divorce is disruptive. And it's always good to meet with as many professionals as you can to smooth that process out. And as we all know, divorce is largely financial and emotional in the disruption that it causes. And so having someone like you on their team is definitely a game changer. So as such, one of the big important questions that often informs uh, our clients of what direction they want to go is what to do with the house. And as an RCSD realtor, I do work with clients on fulfilling the data that's needed to be able to make a wise and well-informed decision about that so that it's not an emotional decision, but one that makes sense long-term and won't lead to regret or financial harm. So today I want to talk through that with you from a perspective as a financial expert on just kind of weighing out all the decisions. Um, the way I see it, there's really four decisions that are that are being made uh, with regard to the house, and we're going to talk through those. So what are your opening thoughts on the real estate decision at large with the divorce process? From my experience, Annie, I've found that a lot of times when you talk about money, it brings up a lot of emotion. And unfortunately, we make decisions with our emotions instead of with our brains. And those may not be the best decisions for us. I've also found that a lot of times going through the divorce process, some women are very adamant about keeping their home and I can't blame them. I mean, it's a place where they raise their kids. It's a place where they feel comfortable. They have security. They have all these memories that they've created in this place. And sometimes from a financial standpoint, it may standpoint, excuse me, it may not be what's in their best interest and what would fit their new life because basically they are starting like starting over stronger. They're they're starting <laughs> over again. Yeah. And this house, this home may not fit in what they are going to be creating. Uh, which is going to be a new life for themselves. And, yeah. you know, I have a, a, a personal story about that 
you know, my mom and dad got divorced and um, this is, you know, I was in my early twenties and my mom had gotten a home in the divorce, which is great. I mean, she was so adamant about getting it. And I said, it's just, you know, it's just a house. It's, it was a big house too. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, already through college and my sister was getting ready to move out and my brother. And um, so it would just be her mostly in this big old house. And the way that the divorce settled is that my mom was to get alimony from my dad. And, you know, sometimes my dad didn't pay the alimony yeah. or he'd pay it late and then he would be, get behind. And so she relied on that alimony to make the mortgage payments. Mm-hmm. And so there were some months where she couldn't make the mortgage payments. And unfortunately, um, you know, over a few years, she had this, what she thought was an asset that she was going to use for retirement one day, this home, this house. And uh, that was her biggest asset. And because dad didn't pay her alimony, she wasn't able to make the mortgage payments. And then everything that she had built, the equity in that house, because the house eventually was foreclosed on, all that equity disappears. You don't, you don't get it. And she tried Mm -hmm. to sell it and unfortunately wasn't able to sell it. And, you know, I just remember the day when she called us and said, come to the house, we have to pack everything up. Uh, the house is being foreclosed on and they're coming tomorrow to change the locks. Oh, wow. And we had a rush over there. I remember as pregnant, I must've been like eight months pregnant, packing boxes, getting everything, you know, getting all her things. And we couldn't take everything. I mean, it was four bedroom house. Yeah. Uh, scrambling around, trying to find her an apartment to move into. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that's why you have to think about these things from a financial standpoint and get a professional uh, to get help. Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about the topic that we're talking about today is um, I want to make sure that uh, if you are going through a divorce, that you're looking at all aspects of it. And if you're in the middle of it, you're very emotional and you may not be able to look at it and say, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I should do that. Yeah. Because you can't think Right. That's really the whole problem is that, you know, studies show that your ability to reason and emotionally, emotionally and intellectually during a divorce is decreased by as much as 30%. So you think you're thinking the same as you did before and at mm-hmm. normal functioning, but you're really not. And that's why a team of professionals around you is so important. And I mean, so sorry to hear the story uh, of your mom's um, situation with her real estate. And, you know, it's a cautionary tale. I wish that it was the exception to the rule, but the truth is it happens all the time. And in fact, the reason the RCSD realtor designation exists and people go and get that training is to help avoid not only foreclosure, but bankruptcy and failed loan origination and failed refinance. Because a lot of the time, these decisions are being made emotionally. And people just kind of have a perspective that their attorney is going to know everything and do everything as they go through their divorce. And the truth is, your attorney is a legal professional, they're not a real estate professional, and they're not a financial professional. And that's why you need a team. And I think it's especially interesting that you said earlier, you used the term uh, that the house may not fit or what it is that you're wanting to do with the house may not fit your new life. And I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it because there's a few ways that it might not fit. It might not fit financially because like you said, you if you're going to rely on alimony or any level of support to finance that mortgage payment, that's risky because you can't guarantee it. You can be awarded it and think it's going to come every month, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to. And what what are you going to do if it doesn't? And it may not fit uh, not only financially, but it may not fit physically. You mentioned also that your mom's house was really big, like she didn't need that much space, but she clung to it for those emotional reasons of this is where all the memories are. And this is where, you know, I just have to stay. And, And that's kind of the other way it doesn't fit is sometimes it doesn't fit emotionally. Because the truth is that the memories are in your mind and in your heart, not in the four walls of a house. And if moving somewhere that's smaller and more affordable allows you to live a life that's more peaceful and stable and maybe actually gets you away from some bad memories, then sometimes a fresh start house is exactly what you need. 
And it's hard to see that sometimes in the middle of it. Yeah. So I think it's important to think about it from all of those perspectives, mm -hmm. because you're right that the, everybody says that the house is the number one asset, but it that's actually the biggest liability in divorce. And the number one asset is actually your credit score and protecting that as you go through the process, because that is going to affect so many things as you go. And so what we want to talk about today is just how do we know what to do? There's so many options. I look at it like four different options. Should you keep it? Should you sell it? Should you refinance it? And should you buy a new one? And so I just want to kind of talk about it from those four different perspectives. When do you think, Dina, that someone should, who's planning whether to keep or sell the home, what do you think is the best time for them to start having that conversation with themselves or with you or with their attorney or whoever? I think the best time, the earlier, the better. Yeah. You have to think about what do you want for your life? How do you picture your life? And I think if you're contemplating divorce for the divorce, you know, how do you see your life without your spouse? Uh, do you see your life still in this home or do you see your life somewhere else? And maybe you don't, you don't even want to stay in the same town anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe your family is in a different city and you'd like to move closer to them. Uh, maybe your kids are grown up and they've moved somewhere else. Maybe you have grandkids and you want to be closer to them as well. Uh, so you really kind of have to think about what do you want for yourself? And then once you're in that divorce process and you've hired an, an attorney and again, you have to think about what you want. And I know a lot of times they say, don't make any drastic changes. If you lose a loved one, if you lose your spouse from a death, don't make any drastic changes. But I can tell you that I have worked with a lot of high net worth women through divorce. And like, I'm going to use the word again, one of the most empowering things that she could do for herself is to make a life for herself and to get her own home, whether it is buying a new home or renting something until she can figure out what she wants. It's very uplifting. And um, I think that the earlier you can start having these conversations with yourself, the better, and then communicating that with your attorney. Because when you're in the, the negotiation of a divorce, and I can give you an example, um, I had a client that had $2 million home um, at the beaches, and uh, she was not emotionally attached to it, but he was. So you know what she did? She used that to her advantage in the mediation and said, mm -hmm. you really want this house? You don't want, you know, you don't want to sell it. You want to stay in it. And so she was able to leverage that and get what she wanted from the divorce. So she got retirement assets, cash, investment accounts, because she could really care less about the house. And so she wanted to sell it, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. So she was able to get what she wanted because she knew what he wanted and what he wasn't willing to give up. Yeah. And so she was able to take advantage of that because when she was thinking about her new life, it wasn't in that house. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's my exact situation. It wasn't a $2 million house though, but it was a house that I didn't want and he did. And mm -hmm. I did, I did use that in the negotiations and I didn't feel like I was necessarily taking advantage of it in the way that maybe some people think of taking advantage of something like it wasn't really an advantage or disadvantage. It was just, that's what I wanted and that's what he wanted. So I wanted my half of the equity and he wanted the house. And so, you know, we were able to use that as part of the negotiations and that's not taking advantage in the bad way. It's just being smart. Well, and when you think about business negotiations, there's different strategies involved. And you have to remember that a divorce is almost like you have a partnership, you've built assets over the years, now you're going to split them. Yeah. This is like a business decision, take mm -hmm. the emotions out and negotiate and try to get the best deal. Because mm -hmm. you've got to advocate for yourself and get the best deal for yourself. Because once you make that deal, there's no do over. You can't say, Oh, I wish I had gotten this or wish I'd gotten that. That's why you need to start thinking about what you really want in life. And also what does your soon to be ex-spouse want? And then start those negotiations. Exactly. The taking the emotion out of it is the hard part. That's why I it's think, very um, hard. you know, having a team is so important because you, you want yep. that, le that legal professional that can actually do the divorce, but you also want that financial professional who can 
help inform all of these different decisions and how it all comes out on the marital balance sheet. But the emotions are there and it's really, really hard to extricate them from all of that without some support. And that's what certified divorce coaching is all about is being that support person on the team that helps to regulate all of the emotion and improve the communication skills so that the legal professional can do their legal work and the financial professional can do their financial work and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's important to have that team. And I think, you know, when you think about whether or not to keep the home, a big part of that is, is how does the mortgage affect that decision? So what are your thoughts on that particular piece of it? Today's show is sponsored by Bag Lady Divorce, the tools you need to get your money through your divorce. Financial know-how delivered to you from someone with an actual personality, Dina A. Brown, certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst. You can do this Get your head in the game. Divorce is basically a business negotiation involving money, and there are no do-overs. You have to get it right the first time because it is the only time, and you don't want to have regrets. Don't be overwhelmed by the financial requirements of preparing for your divorce. Get the help you need from an experienced, certified divorce financial analyst, and then you won't have to worry about feeling like you're going to be a bag lady. Online classes, customized financial advocacy, and socially responsible investing to ensure your future. Find out more about Dina and Bag Lady Divorce at baglady.dina-brown.com. That's baglady.dina-brown.com. Please tell her you heard about her on Starting Over Stronger. So the more, I mean, the mortgage is, is a big deal. Um, you've got to look at what do you owe? What's the value of the home? So remember in 2008, 2009, when we had the real estate crisis, a lot of people were underwater in their homes. That's not an asset that you would want if your home is valued less than what, what your mortgage is. Yeah. So right now <laughs> we're in the opposite situation because real estate prices are, are going sky high. Um, or at least it's a seller's market. But you have to take into account what is the mortgage? How much is that? What is the payment? What is the liability? You know, the rule of thumb is, you know, this is just kind of a, I'm not saying this is for everyone, but whatever you you figure out what your income is, your housing expense should be about 30% of that or third. So you have to look at what is my cash flow and what is my my mortgage going to be? If you have a, if you currently have a mortgage and you're thinking about keeping the house and divorce, you're going to have to get that refinance. Like you can't just take it over. Mm -hmm. You can't just take over a mortgage. Like you have to qualify for it. So, which means you have to have income. And if you have divorce income, you have alimony, they want six months worth of alimony. Mm -hmm. So you may not be able to refinance it. And I'll just tell you a quick story. This is a true story. I had um, a client who came to me after the divorce. I wish it was before, but he got the home in the divorce and uh, there was a mortgage and he couldn't refinance it because his wife was the breadwinner. So he didn't have the income. He didn't have the income to refinance it. So he kept his wife on it, on the mortgage. So he never got retitled. And um, his intention, he was supposed to get full equity. It was $400,000 in equity. And his um, kids were to get that at his death. Well, he died. He died. He wasn't, he was like in his fifties, super young guy. And because he never took care of that piece of business, he never refinanced it. He never put it in his own name. Instead of the $400,000 going to his kids, his two boys, after he died, half of that went to his ex-wife and the kids lost out. Now, I don't know what the ex-wife did with the money. Maybe she gave it to her kids. I'm thinking probably not, but I mean, you have to think about that. Um, yeah. If you think that your ex-spouse is going to do the right thing, if you don't refinance it and put in your own name, you know, it's not easy to refinance, you know, ever since I'm mentioning 2008, 2009, again, with the uh, financial crisis we had, and you probably know more about this than I do, Annie, about, you know, mortgages and what it takes to qualify for them, but it's not as easy as, as it used to be. And so you really have to think about that. Yeah. 
It's definitely not. And in fact, you mentioned six months of alimony. Uh, it may be different state by state. I'm not sure. But um, at least here in Missouri, Kansas, it's three years. <gasps> really? it, they won't refinance you unless you still have three more years coming of alimony. If you're using that as part of your qu- qualification. Wow. So it's yeah, it's a big deal. And why lawyers and judges are negotiating divorces that order one person or the other to refinance when they don't even know if they can. I don't understand. That's beyond my pay grade, I guess, because why on earth would the highest seed in the nation tell a person you have to refinance without knowing if they even can? And I mean, these things get put into the divorce decree because that's what's decided either between the parties or by the judge that this is what's going to happen. And then they find out that it can't. And the fact is you can find out now before the divorce is final, whether or not whoever's thinking about refinancing actually can refinance. Sure. They can pre-qualify now yeah. to know and then obviously maybe make different decisions if they find out something they're not expecting to find out. And then the other thing that floors me is that people keep their ex-spouse on the loan and don't make any changes to it and just take over payments. What a huge risk to that person that's not living in that house anymore. For one, you're probably not going to qualify for a house of your own. Yep. And two, uh, they could destroy your credit by simply missing one payment and you'll drop a hundred points in your credit score that, and it will stay that low for a year or two years, maybe. I mean, it just absolutely floors me that people put themselves at that kind of risk and why there's just to me no logical reason not to get the actual full separation of these two parties during the divorce process in whatever way is decided, whether that's one of them keeping the house or not. It just, to me, doesn't make any sense at all to go through the time and trouble and expense of a divorce and then keep that huge of an asset together. Well, you know what? If you're going to keep the house and you have a mortgage on it and you don't qualify to take over that mortgage, a bank will not give you the money to keep that mortgage. Then you have no business staying in that house. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to be house poor? Oh, my gosh. I can't think I can't think of a worse position to put yourself in as you're going through a divorce and trying to start over. Everything is so unstable and unknown. There's just so many things that you can't know right now as you're going through the divorce. Why would you put yourself in a position where every possible dime that you can scrape up is going to go to a house payment? No, it just it just isn't logical to me. And and again, we've talked about this and we we'll keep talking about it. There's not a lot of logic that goes into this decision. Sometimes it's a lot of right. emotion, unfortunately. Exactly. And so that's why we're here talking about this, because what happens if you keep the house and you can't get the mortgage in your own name or you don't qualify for a mortgage? There's a there's a lot of different things that can happen. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many scenarios and, you know, and not just scenarios, I mean, real life examples that I can use yeah. to show that it doesn't make any sense. It might make sense if you get the home and maybe it's paid off and then you still get a couple million dollars right. in your divorce, then that might work. Or I've seen a situation where a woman negotiated to have the house mortgage paid down enough that the payment was affordable for her with her new income after the divorce as part of her equity split or as part of her, um, you know, just the division of assets um, and the the settlement that she was going to get. He paid off enough of the mortgage that the payment was something she could handle on her own, which makes sense. It, it does. And you know, what just came to mind is I was just talking to a client of mine who went through a divorce. And this is something that you can uh, give your expertise, Annie, as a coach is she said, I just had this conversation with her yesterday. Actually, she said when she got her divorce, she did not stay in her house because the friends they had that she thought were her friends didn't want to be her friend anymore. Mm-hmm. And they were all people that lived in their community. Yeah. And she said, because they got divorced, that was it. They don't want to be friends. And she said, I thought they were my friends. And that was very eye opening. And so she had to get the heck out of there because she didn't want to be around all of these people that identified her as being married to this person. And now that their marriage was no longer that they didn't want to be associated with her. 
Yeah, that's honestly one of the saddest parts of divorce and oftentimes the most unexpected. People know when they're going into a divorce that they're going to probably struggle financially and emotionally, but they don't have any idea of what, as a divorce coach, we talk about four divorces, the, the legal divorce, the emotional divorce, the financial divorce, and then the social divorce. And the social one is the one that throws everyone off because they don't think their family and friends are going to do that to them. And then they do. And they're just like their whole world is rocked because they don't feel like they know anybody anymore. And they literally have to move somewhere else, whether it's another house or another city or another state mm -hmm. and start all over again with new friends and new everything. And yeah. it's just so disorienting and it's so unfair and it's so stupid. And I don't use that word lightly. I don't use it very often either. It is st so stupid to choose one party over the other in a divorce and not be at least friendly. But you know, then on the other side of that coin, some friendships are in inevitably going to change because maybe you were friends with someone because you were both couples and both parties in the couples enjoyed each other. And now that whole element is gone. So mm -hmm. the friendship doesn't make as much sense anymore. Right. You know, so I can see why some friendships would sort of get weird and sort of fade away. But then sometimes it's even more abrupt than that. And it's just people picking somebody else over you. And it's it's tough. It's a really tough thing to go through. So it sure is. And that's why I think that having a coach to get you through this very difficult process is so important because I'm not a coach and I am a financial expert, but I'm not a coach. And I hear these things and I, and, and like you, Annie, I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm like, I'm really sorry. But <laughs> I didn't realize it was those four things that, um, you know, you're yeah. going through, you said the legal divorce, the social mm -hmm. divorce that, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Um, and when you're looking at making decisions, it's not just black and white. There's all different aspects and different things to consider when you are making those decisions. There are a million things to consider. And so as we think back about the house and just all that goes into that, I, I know one question that comes up for some of my clients is, should I buy or should I rent? If they've decided not to keep the house, they want to know, you know, does it make more sense financially for me to go ahead and buy something right now or rent something for a while? And I will, I will interject that in, in my own situation, I chose to rent for about 18 months after my divorce was final for a few different reasons. One, I didn't yet know at the point that I moved out of the marital home, what the financial situation was going to look like. So I wouldn't have qualified for a loan to buy. And even if I did, I don't think I would have because my son was near graduation from high school and he was my youngest. And we were living in a community that I we had lived in for 15 years and I had wanted to move for some time. And then especially with the divorce, I really wanted to, but I didn't want to put him in a position where he had to drive a long ways to get to school or that it would be more convenient for him to just stay at his dad's instead of with me if you know it was a school night or what have you. So I chose to, to rent in the community that we lived in very close to his school so that it would be a comfortable as possible transition for him um, during that first year after the divorce. And then um, once I got my financial situation settled, I was able then to move to a little bit farther away, not that far, uh, 30 minutes or so from there. And, you know, my son had the option to do whatever he wanted to do because he was 19 at that point. But but it, w it allowed me that time to breathe, time to let the dust settle, time to really decide, OK, where is it that I want to be and really had enough closure with the divorce, I guess, to just be thinking a little bit more clearly again by that point. So that's my thoughts on whether or not to own or rent. Um, but then I've seen situations where somebody goes right into a newly purchased home and it works very well for them. So I think it goes both ways. I, I totally agree. I think it goes both ways. I've had clients that um, were able to buy homes right away uh, you know, they wanted to to start rebuilding and, and having something permanent for the new chapter in their life. And but a lot of times they use cash to buy their homes. They don't get a mortgage because they don't qualify. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to look at what is their cash flow? What was their divorce settlement? How much can they afford to buy, especially if they're buying cash? Because if they're using their assets, their money for cash flow, will it support their lifestyle? So, you know, again, that's those are things that I plan for. Um, and then I've seen some people that have rented and that's better for them because like you mentioned earlier, they don't want to be house poor. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to explore their hobbies and they want to be able to, to see their kids. Uh, you know, I had a client yesterday um, that I helped through divorce. I had another client that I had lunch with and um, she said, my, my daughter and her husband are buying their first home. I want to give her a hundred thousand dollars. I said, great, let's do it. And so you have to weigh out these things. You have to look at really, again, it comes back to what do you want? Um, If you're not really sure, then renting might be an option for you. And even if you, let's say there's a, like a, an area in town here, um, I'm in Florida, it's a very expensive area of town. And if somebody was living there with their spouse and they had a home and they have this certain lifestyle and they want to stay in that area after the divorce, they may not be able to afford to buy a house in that area because it's so expensive, but they might be able to rent an apartment in that area and still, you know, still be able to get to their, um, you know, aerobics class or their yoga class or, you know, stay connected with their community Mm -hmm. or they may not know what they want and renting would be a good option so that it buys them some time to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What, how do the taxes factor into this with regard to selling the home? So it's not, it's really not as complicated as it used to be. Um, This is what I would say you need to watch out for. If you bought a home and you have a gain of $500,000 or more in it, which is probably very possible now because the market has been going up so much and you're married, you can, you can sell and have that $500,000 gain and not pay capital gains tax. Now, if you have a $500,000 gain and you keep the home and now you're not married anymore and then you sell it and you're a single person, you only get half of that. So you only get $250,000 exempt from tax, which means if you have a $500,000 gain, you would have $250,000 in gains that you would be taxed on, capital gains tax. So you can say bye-bye to 15 to 20% in tax that's going to go to the IRS just because of your timing. So you really want to watch timing on that. If you're going to sell a home, whether or not, and if, if it's highly appreciated, you know, if it's something out at the beach or something like that, and it's got that $500,000 gain, you really want to be careful with your timing and when you sell it, whether you sell it by yourself or you sell it jointly um, during the, mar- the marriage, because again, 20% of $250,000 is a big chunk of change. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it is. And then um, two... You know, this is kind of going back to the renting um, again, Annie, is Mm -hmm. with renting, you have one payment with buying and owning. Even if you buy a home cash, you have to think about you're still going to have association dues, condo dues, if applicable, insurance payments, homeowners insurance and property taxes. And depending on where you live in the country, they can be pretty hefty. Mm -hmm. I mean, a thousand dollars a month property taxes is is very normal. So you have to think about that as well. Today's show is sponsored by Dr. Ann Morgan, CEO, lead physician, and founder of Thrive Once More. Dr. Morgan is a board-certified emergency medicine physician who over the past five years has been researching and continuing her education in developing this private practice that emphasizes wellness and patient health optimization. Are you interested in becoming a healthier version of yourself? Life is too short to spend every day feeling exhausted, overstimulated, overwhelmed, and just not like yourself. At Thrive Once More, Dr. Ann Morgan will use a comprehensive approach in evaluating your current state of health and developing an individualized strategy to achieve balance and health through nutrition and optimizing your hormones. Explore what the healthier you could look like with Dr. Ann Morgan. The name of her practice, Thrive Once More, really sums up Dr. Morgan's goals for her patients. Visit thriveoncemore.com where you can register, learn more, and schedule your first consultation.
Please tell her that you heard about her on Starting Over Stronger. Yeah. And a lot of times, at least if there's a mortgage, there's that's factored into your payment. So for anyone that's listening in that situation, it wouldn't necessarily be an, an extra payment. Your your taxes and insurance are going to be a part of your mortgage payment. But again, that's only if you have a mortgage and right. and it's something that you're able to get in your own name on your on your solo income. So yeah. there are a lot of ifs, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is it apples to apples when dividing up cash versus retirement accounts? and investments versus the home? How does that all factor together? Okay, so cash is king. Cash is king. Liquidity is king. So when you're dividing up cash, retirement, real estate, you want to look at and consider what is the most liquid. And when I say liquid, what's the most flexible asset? Mm -hmm. So if you get cash, you can pretty much do what you want with it, right? Yep. If you get a retirement asset like an IRA or 401k, depending on how old you are, you're going to be subject to not only income tax when you use that money, but also a 10% penalty if you're not the right age, yeah. if you're too young. And then comes the home, which is the most illiquid of all three, mm-hmm. uh, is you know if you, if you have a home and you keep it in the divorce, you can't use that to go on vacations. You can't use that to gift money to your kids. You can't, again, cash is king, it's illiquid, um, and you have to look at it that way. Um, you know, and, and so for the lifestyle you want, and this is going back to being house poor, you know, do you, do you want to just, if you, if you're, if you split the assets and you wind up with the house, but not a lot of the cash, well, you need to come to terms with that. You're in that home and that's what you got. And it's going to give you less flexibility Mm -hmm. um, as far as the things that you want to do, um, or the places that you want to go because you'll be stuck in pretty much stuck in the house. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's not apples to apples. It's you've got to look at it um, again from a flexibility. When I say liquidity viewpoint and see which of those things is going to help you when you're restarting this chapter, this new chapter in your life. And what do you want your life to look like after the divorce? Yeah. And if you really want to impress your attorney and your soon to be ex, learn a little bit about the current value of future money (laughs) and use that to your advantage when you're dividing up cash and retirement accounts and investments in the house, because not every dollar is equal. So talk to us about that. Well, yeah. So you, I mean, we have this thing called taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, there's that too. (laughs) It's like the biggest fear. It's like we fear taxes and dying, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And public speaking. So (laughs) when you're dividing up assets, with your soon-to-be ex-spouse, you want to look at, definitely look at the tax situation. And a lot of times when people say tax, it's like you go in snooze mode. I mean, what's what's less exciting than taxes? Not much. Um, but it's so important because if you take an account that's a cash account, a savings account, uh, there's not much tax there, okay? It's not that much. Um, when you look at a an investment account, you need to look at something called capital gains, And uh, I've seen some couples where, you know, somebody will be working at a company for 30 years and they've gotten all the stock in the company and they barely paid anything for it. And then surprise, surprise, you get it in the divorce and you go to sell it and you have something called capital gains tax. So depending on how much you make, it ranges from 15 to 20 percent in taxes. And then you have retirement assets. And when you look at retirement assets, again, depending on your age, you're going to pay ordinary income tax, which just means it's based on what you're, where you fall in the tax brackets mm-hmm. when you take the money out to use it. And then if you're not 59 and a half and you take that money out, there's going to be a 10% penalty on top of it. Yeah. So the one of the worst things I've seen is... People who go through divorce, they get retirement assets and they want to use their retirement assets to buy a home. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just think about it. If you take money out of an out of a retirement asset, like an IRA or a 401k to buy a home, you're paying, let's say, 20% in income tax. And then if you're not 59 and a half years old, another 10%. So you're giving a third of that away to the IRS. That's not a good use of your money. Not at all. And if that's the only way you can buy a home, then you should not buy a home right now. There you go. That's the truth. Going back to you have no business buying a home if you don't qualify for a mortgage and you've got to use your retirement assets to buy it. 
Yep. Okay. So when we think about the four things, should you keep it? Should you sell it? Should you refinance it? And should you buy? Let's just take just a minute and kind of break that down a little bit. Who should keep the home? Who's in a good position to keep the home? Okay. Somebody in a good position to keep the home might be someone who qualifies for the mortgage. If there's no mortgage, they um, have at least 30% of their income can go to pay for condo dues, um, property taxes, insurance, upkeep, maintenance. You also want to keep in mind that you need to have some type of emergency account as well to keep the house. Mm -hmm. And I I would like to interrupt you just for a minute on that exact point, because one thing that an RCSD realtor does is help the, especially woman or underemployed or less employed um, party in the divorce who wants to keep the house. Fully informing that decision has to do with the condition of the house. Yeah, you've maybe lived in it for 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years, but would you ever buy a house without an inspection? Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> but people do it all the time. And it's like, we can do an inspection as a pre-divorce inspection as part of your decision-making. Because guess what? There might be a crack in the foundation. There might be a sewer line that's about to fail. There might be an, any number of things. Maybe the, the error or the HVAC is about to go out. That's a, These are five to $10,000 expenses that, guess what? If you just came through a divorce and got awarded the house, you're not going to be able to afford to deal with that in a lot of situations. Oh my God, you're so right. Yeah. So right. And yeah, you have to look at it as a buyer. When I buy this house Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't buy a house without an inspection. Yep. So you need to get the inspection. And then if you do keep the house, again, it goes back to the negotiation. If it does need a new roof and the roof is going to cost you $20,000, well, you need to bring that up in the divorce negotiation and get the $20,000 to repair it. Yeah. And you wouldn't buy it under appraisal either in most situations. So you need to make sure that it's being adequately and appropriately appraised uh, for its value before you use that as one of the factors in the marital balance. So love it. Yep. There's a lot of things that get missed when (laughs) people just have that, you know, mentality like your mom, I have to keep this house, you know, there's so much that goes into it. So much. So Yeah. So that would be the person that would keep somebody that would sell would be someone that, you know, is ready for a clean slate. They want to be able to feel independent, not rely on someone else to make those mortgage payments, or they don't have to live in a state of worry that they, they can't afford to get the pool cleaned or the the yard mode or um, the roof fixed. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe they're looking for a more simple lifestyle too. Yeah, maybe they just don't want to deal with all those things. Like sure. Maybe it's not a financial issue. Maybe they just don't want to be the one to have to fix the roof or deal with a plumbing issue. Maybe they want to have a landlord to call and say, hey, come fix this. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and you know what else a lot mm-hmm. of people do not know? Um, if you are using a homeowner's insurance policy as a married person for a house and then a divorce happens and you use even the same mortgage company, this or not mortgage, same insurance company um, on the same house, guess what? You're going to pay more for your homeowner's insurance policy for the exact same house. Why is that? Yeah. Do you, have you heard this? (laughs) No, please enlighten me. As much as 6% more because you're a single person. I guess this is some kind of antiquated reasoning that goes into the risk assessment for insurance. I don't know, but they actually oftentimes have a higher policy rate for a single woman than a married couple. And I think I I can't prove this, but I think it has to do with the fact that she's more likely to hire contractors and professionals to do work for her than to do fix it projects herself. I don't know. That's what I've been told. I am not an insurance expert, but I, I there's something to it because it it is a statistic that I remember learning in, in our RCSD training that women need to get insurance quotes on that homeowner's policy as part of their decision making in whether or not to keep it because it may be significantly higher. Oh my gosh. Which is crazy. It is. Not fair. Not so not <laughs> but fair. But it's happening. <laughs> 
but it's happening. Oh my goodness. Anyway, just, you know, it, it comes down to the statistics. She's more likely to file a claim. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And then yeah. if you have more, more contractors coming in and, in and out of your house, you have to look at the liability standpoint too. If they trip and fall and they sue you, yeah. uh, you know, you have to look at that as well. So yeah. that makes, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'll furthermore, I will just say that, you know, should you sell it? That question to me is 99% of the time a yes, because the best way to sever joint debt and joint ownership is by selling. Yes. And in fact, some people say it's the only way I think you a, a good solid refinance plan can be, but here's the thing about it. Again, whatever's written in a divorce decree might happen and it might not. There's not a lot of enforcement. There's not really a way to enforce a lot of it. A judge can tell. It is not yeah, guaranteed. A judge can tell somebody to refinance and then they don't do it. Yep. And so, you know, what are you going to do then? So you, you're you still in that joint debt and joint ownership. So if you really truly want to sever all connections and you should, it's the wisest thing to do. You will sell the house. Yes, absolutely. So who might be a good candidate, though, for refinance if they're just not willing to refi- to sell? I think it would be someone who uh, is not relying on alimony or child support for cash flow. They are career oriented. They make their own money. They want to stay in the home. Perhaps they have kids at a school that they want to, you know, they want to keep their kids there or they, they feel like their kids would be better staying in the home from an emotional standpoint. Um, and they can afford the payments uh, and have the emergency fund and be able to keep, have the upkeep, have the money to do the upkeep for it. Mm-hmm. And if you're really, truly willing to do it. And here's a little tip. Um, if you're the party that's, that's moving out, um, and you want to make sure that a refinance is more likely to actually happen when ordered to do so, put a time limit on it in writing in the divorce decree that the person that's keeping the house has to refinance within 60 days, yes. 90 days, whatever number you come up with. Absolutely. Put a limit on it. Now, does that still, that doesn't force them to do it, but I think it puts a little bit more incentive into it. Yeah. Accountability. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And who should buy a new house? Who should move out of that marital house and buy something on their own? Uh, I think it's, it would take a couple of types of people. One would be someone again, who has a career, they're career oriented. They have their own income. They're able to Mm -hmm. qualify for mortgage. They can afford the upkeep. Um, maintenance. And I've seen this a lot where they go from a marital home that might be, you know, million dollar home, and then they buy their own home and it's 250,000, but it's theirs. And they're happy, just happy to have their own and be able to be independent and pay for it themselves. And then you have another person who uh, may not be career oriented, uh, and but they got really good assets in the divorce and they're able to buy something for cash. Yeah. I agree. And I would add a third category to that. Someone who maybe wouldn't qualify in some ways on their own to buy, but they're really, really determined to make it happen. And they're willing to do the legwork to find grants or zero down programs or down payment assistance programs in order to make that possible for themselves. And that can be a lot of work. And and it's sometimes hard to find a real estate agent that will really dig in and help you figure it out. But it's possible. There's a lot of free money out there. Uh, if you're willing to do the work to find it. Wow. You could probably do a podcast just on that topic alone. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but because we're running out of time today, let's let's talk just a little bit about cash flow after divorce and how that informs the real estate decision. And then we'll kind of close out today. Okay, sure. So um, again, the rule of thumb is 30%. I think that's high, honestly, because if you're, let's say you, you, your income flow is $3,000 a month. If you're spending $1,000 on housing, that only leaves you $2,000 a month, which might, kind of sounds like a lot. But when you break it up, it's really only like $500 a week. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that's not enough. But yeah, it would be hard for most people. Yeah. When you factor in insurance and, and everything, you know. Right. You don't even have to have an extravagant lifestyle to feel like that's not enough. Yeah. I mean, if you break it down and you look at how much do you spend on food, how much do you spend on 
transportation. How much do you spend on your cell phone subscription? Mm-hmm. How, you know, you, you write all these things down and then you look at, okay, well, this is realistically what I spend. And then you have to have, you have to add housing on top of it. And typically your housing is your biz- biggest monthly expense. Um, and so sometimes you have to work backwards. You know, it's not always, okay, I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to fit everything in after I make that payment. Maybe you want to look at it as this is the lifestyle I want. What house fits my lifestyle versus the other way around? Um, but cash flow, again, I, I keep saying cash is king, but cash flow really is important because it's going to give you the freedom and the flexibility to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, any closing thoughts on this decision? Uh, you know, a lot of times we try to figure out this stuff on our own and um, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And I think, again, I'm just going to reiterate that it takes a team. It takes a tribe of people, especially to get through something that's so emotional. You know, find yourself a really good coach. Find yourself a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you 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 build your team you know, and, and find an attorney that likes to work with others collaboratively and is a good communicator. Um, but you don't have to figure all this stuff out on your own. That's why, that's why we're all out there to help. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Great point. Well, thank you very much for being here today, for having this conversation that I know is going to help a lot of people. Um, I want to give you just a moment to tell us a little bit about bag lady divorce. I love that name. It's such a great play on words. <laughs> Thank you. So there is actually a bag lady syndrome that I've I've found over the years, and it, it is actually it's a thing. So um, <laughs> a lot of women um, go through divorce, and they they have this fear. It doesn't matter how much their net worth is. I had a woman whose net worth was ten million dollars um, with her husband. She was going through divorce. She was going to get five million of the 10. And she said, please, I don't want to be a bag lady. It's my biggest fear. And so Uh, bag lady. I had not put that together. Now I understand. Yeah. I have a client right now that is going through this. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter. We have, you know, we we grow up in in certain environments and and beliefs Mm -hmm. and situations. And um, sometimes we, it doesn't matter how much money we have, we have this fear. And so I created bag lady to help uh, women overcome that fear and again, to empower them. And it doesn't matter what their net worth is. Um, You know, we all have a net worth and might be small. It might be big, but to us, it's all we have. And we want to be able to um, protect it and grow it. And so um, I I have a a Facebook presence. I also have a website, which is baglady.dina, D-E-A-N-N-A, brown.com where I have a, a blog um, with a plethora of information to help women um, get through divorce and, and make um, better informed decisions. And that's why I created it. Awesome. So on Facebook, is it just your name or is it Bag Lady Divorce? Or it's how Bag Lady Divorce. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you again for being here, listeners. I hope this has helped you to think differently about your real estate decision, or at least given you some more information for making that decision. Probably it created some uh, even more questions than you had before, and that's okay. You can reach out to get those questions answered with me, and I can get you personally introduced to Dina so that you can work with her as well in informing that decision. And I would love to talk with you about that or in any way to help you through your divorce, you can email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com. And you can also check out the website startingoverstronger.com for more information about private coaching, as well as real estate consulting and more. So book a discovery call there if you'd like to explore how you can get your needs met before, during and after divorce. And remember that you don't have to go through divorce alone. Until we meet again, remember there's help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.